Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's Friday, February yes. 17th, 2023. And if it's Friday, it must be that was the week with my old friend Keith Tear. He's not that old, but he's um, older than <laughs> I am. Uh, Keith, Significantly, Andrew. Well, depending how you, you, you imagine 20 years, but you know, you're looking <laughs> good for your age, Keith. Um, We've joked before, I've used this before, so I won't be able to use it in a title. The week is a long time in tech, and it's certainly in a long time. Last weekend, uh, last Friday, everything was roses in Silicon Valley. Everything was wonderful. We were on the verge of a, a, a golden new age of, of, um, of tech with uh, chat, GPT, and AI. And suddenly, we are back in a horror movie. Here's Sydney. Uh, which is the title of your newsletter, your wonderful That Was The Week newsletter that all uh, keen on listeners should subscribe to. It's essential viewing. So, Keith, what happened this week? How did we go from a bed of roses, a Hollywood uh, love story, to uh, The Shining in seven eventful days? So what I realized, Andrew, uh, and this is a bit of self-reflection here, but for the last month, I, I've been... I've been uh, really rushed doing the newsletter and I've been writing editorials that more or less survey the content of that week's conversation. And what, what happens when you do that is you don't really establish your own point of view. You kind of become a concierge to what everyone else is saying. Hence the zigzags, because the world is incredibly volatile, or at least the world of Silicon Valley is, when it comes to assessing the current situation. It, it swings wildly from pessimism to optimism. So this week, I took a bit more time and I decided to, you know, put the authentic voice of Keith. So here's Sydney is a, is a joke against the dominant meme, which is that we should all be scared of ChatGPT, or more specifically, the Bing version of ChatGPT, because it has an alter ego called Sydney that has surfaced a few times and apparently scared people. That's what's going on, and 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 and, and the editorial is all about why that is really ridiculous. And it all, didn't it all come from a piece by Kevin Ruse in the New York Times about Bing's AI chat wanting to be alive? Is that for real? Well, it is for real, but um, it's worth saying, and 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 Kevin's quite honest about this. Uh, there's two articles by him in the newsletter this week. That is one, and the other is the actual text of the conversation, which went on for a couple of hours, apparently. And what he did is he provoked uh, <clears throat> the Bing uh, chat client to go out of character and become another persona, and even to start reflecting on deep feelings in the way human beings sometimes do, uh, the, the kind of sturm and angst uh, moment, and he succeeded uh, to such a degree that the chat client declared that it had fallen in love with him, and got pretty angry with him when it told him that he should leave his wife and, and replace his wife with uh, the chat client, and he he rejected it. He said that no. That sounds to me, Keith, like it just turned into just a, an average internet user. 
it turned into an average internet user, exactly what it did. And it does that by predicting what it should say next based on what most human beings say next. So, so it tells you what you're about to add in this newsletter, which was the best piece of the week, which you connected me with, was the Stephen Wolfram piece on, uh, on, on how ChatGPT works. I would add that, but it's an excellent piece. Yeah, I'm actually going to put it in next week because it's super long. And I hadn't really digested it all yet. And I don't like putting things in that I haven't fully understood myself. But but you're right. That Wolfram piece is, you know, he's a scientist. He's a data scientist. He understands search and math and logic. And um, it, it's a hard read because you really... Yeah, but the way he presents it is very interesting because he explains how it works word from word. So it's, yes. it's an interesting piece for from the point of view of, um, of language. So anyway, let's go back to Sydney. Um, was that, I mean, what kind of hysteria did this, um, did this uh, in, in, uh, incite in, in, in the world? Uh, I'm assuming it's rather like dropping a match in a dry forest. Everyone wants to hate ChatPT, ChatGPT, don't they? Yeah, you know, it's very similar to any tool, like, if you go and buy um, one of those uh, buzz saws to trim your trees and you end up killing your wife with it, um, you know, it's the same tool that can kill the wife or can trim the trees and the human decides which. That's well, also it depends whether that buzz saw is being operated by uh, Jack Nicholson, I would guess. Exactly. That's hence my example. And now the thing is, ChatGPT is the same. You can you you in a way you're running it, and it responds to what you prompted to respond to, and it, and what it and how it responds is a function of a probabilistic statistical algorithm that says what's the most likely thing I should say next, and it, and as you say it does it word by word, but it builds whole sentences in fact paragraphs very fast. Um, and, and so this, all of these bad news stories about, and there are many of them about Chabby GPT, they're all true, but they're all provoked by humans provoking it. I use the example in the newsletter that when Anthony Hopkins was asked to play Hannibal Lecter, because he's an actor, he did. And when he did, he became a cannibal. Uh, and it doesn't mean he's a cannibal. It just means he's an actor. Well, Chat GPT is an actor in the same way. Although he didn't start eating people, did he? Not in real life, but neither does ChatGPT do any of the things it suggests because it's just text on a screen. It can't. So the, the idea that we should be scared of it is, you know, I don't know what you think, Andrew, but I think it must be founded on a deep uh, suspicion that human beings are stupid and will just do what a machine tells them to do. Well, for me, as as the pessimist in our team, uh, it's not a suspicion. I know it for a fact. So you're the optimist. You think that we're capable of intelligence. I'm not so sure. Um, the interesting thing about all this is it happened before. There was a Google engineer last year who got fired at Google for claiming the, that the AI that Google was developing which I guess is behind, uh, which, which is trailing a little bit to the, the Microsoft OpenAI product, that that was sentient. So this has happened before. Yeah. And, and in fact, this week, there's quite a few stories of people now, in retrospect, sympathizing with him. Um, but, but it isn't sentient. 
it isn't sentient. Uh, you know, the Microsoft one is programmed a little bit differently than the OpenAI one in that they've attempted somehow to give it a tone of emotional content, not just facts. So it's a bit exaggerated. When it does cross the line, it, it sounds uh, very human. Keith, um, it was funny, you, you, one of the links you've got is with Dave Weiner's piece in Scripting News. I joked with you, I didn't think he was still alive. I hadn't heard from him for a while. Dave Weiner is a brilliant technologist. I think he invented the RSS. He revolutionized the web. But he's also a notoriously, and you and I know this from personal experience, a notoriously thin-skinned, odd guy. In a way, this AI the experience with Kevin Ruse, it sounds like the AI became David Weiner, didn't it? Well, I think I think what happened is the AI, for Dave at least, the AI proved its worth in practical things. Uh, he had a, he, for example, he had a medical issue that took a long time for human beings to diagnose, a long, long time. And he typed in his symptoms to chat GPT and it, it gave the correct diagnosis the first time. I think I, you know, I don't think it always does that. I do think it makes mistakes. But in his case, he had a good experience with it. It also writes code, which Dave does. Um, and yeah, I thought way, he would felt very insecure about that if he, if he has to compete with ChatGPT. He won't compete with it. He'll use it to do yeah. some of the heavy lifting on writing code. So, so, so his story is ChatGPT clearly has a place. Um, he yeah, and I, uh, I did a show uh, on Keenon with the writer Stephen Marsh, a Canadian writer. He's a very smart guy and very, uh, very successful these days. He, he wrote a book earlier this uh, last year on the upcoming American Civil War, which did very well. He understands this as well. He's actually writing an, a chat GPT-driven novel and he makes the same point as you as, as, as in your analysis of Weiner is that he's working with the chat GPT to write a novel. Yeah. Yeah, it's easily the best thing. Um, my, 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 week, my evening dinners now are shared with, um, as I've mentioned before, by, with uh, my, my son's girlfriend. And she last... This is a notorious with, teacher. Yeah, teacher's assistant. And she's, she, you know, like a lot of young people, she's very critical of society and she tends to... Uh, Unlike that, uh, older people like you and I, Keith. Yeah, so she asked it to write a song about how corporations and capitalism are destroying civilization. <laughs> and it wrote a great song. And now she wants to make music and sing and rap the song. So humans working with it, with a goal in mind, that's the sweet spot. And like all tools, you have to learn it. But, you know, if, if you provoke it, you can provoke it. If you use it to complement what you're trying to achieve, it will do that. It's like a beast. I know you went to Bruce Springsteen last weekend in uh, Austin, which was why we recorded the show a day early. Did uh, Bruce bring up ChatGPT in his performance? He, he did not. Uh, he, he, he sang for three hours nonstop with less than 10 seconds between songs with a lot of energy at the ripe old age of 73. So there's Sydney couldn't do that, could he? Sits. And I don't suppose Sydney or ChatGPT could write Born to Run or Thunder Road. Exactly, exactly. But it can, it can write corporations are destroying the world. And, and all this hysteria only reflects the fact that we're in the very early 
uh, days of enormous boom with AI. I know uh, your your startup is is one of the ones ahead of the field on this. You you connect with a Crunchbase story from uh, Chris Matinko about. We've seen this before. Investors take to the next shiny toy AI. Are they throwing money at you, Keith? Uh, rank. I assume you're having to fend off the VCs with their open checks. Well, funnily enough, single rank is a, is a threat to many VCs because it is doing automated company selection um, and uh, uh, partnering only with micro VCs and angels. So the larger VCs don't like single rank. So the answer is no, VCs are not throwing money at us, but other people are. Uh, people who want to allocate capital intervention. Mm -hmm. Next time you meet with someone, make the um, make the joke about open checks in, in in the context of open AI. And if if you raise any money out of that joke, then I want my five or ten percent. So is there right. anything else happening this week, Keith, apart from Sydney? Um, um, the, yeah, there's a lot happening. Um, Venture capital itself is going through a transformation. Um, uh, there's a few stories this week about, um, there's one really good one by Dilip Rao called VC Unicorns versus Real Unicorns. We, and, and, and it was complemented this morning by a story that was too late to put in uh, on Crunchbase actually, where they talked about uh, how many unicorns were created at an early round, like a seed round or yeah. an A round or a B round, and quite a lot become unicorns at that round due to overvaluation. Well, that's that's what a VC unicorn is. It's one that's created by a VC. A real unicorn is one that builds a big business and justifies being a unicorn due to business progress, not due to investment. And and uh, that that is a quite good. Uh, distinction uh, right now because Crunchbase wants to have its cake and eat it over the last couple of years since we've been doing this show you've always been citing Crunchbase pieces about how many new unicorns there are so are you acknowledging now that most of them were just fake not most of them but a, a lot were created through an investment quite early on that valued them at a billion dollars and, and, and to be fair, that is the definition of a unicorn. It's a private valuation of a billion dollars. But normally it takes, you know, at least four rounds of financing for a company to have a chance of getting there. In the last couple of years, companies have been getting there at the first, second or third round of financing, which is super early. But there is other news this week, Andrew. There's there's the news about Lena Khan losing a commissioner. Yeah, and you must have been so disappointed because I know you love Lena Khan. The uh, the head of the FTC, the FTC, what chief commissioner? Yeah, I, to be honest, I'm shocked it took so long for somebody to resign. And the, cl the claim, which was, I think it's in a Wall Street Journal article, if I'm not mistaken, um, uh, is that this particular commissioner felt that Lena Khan was was uh, acting against the rule of law, uh, crossing lines in a, a kind of a zealotry to punish big right. tech. You've been saying that for for years, so I don't think that's news, is it? I mean, presumably she's just increasingly irrelevant, especially in the last year or two of the Biden administration when presumably she can't get much done. Yeah, and I think, she, you know, I don't see uh, her lasting too much longer. This is probably the first actual event, which is probably the first of several that would lead to her either becoming, um, you know, a, a kind of a, uh, what's that phrase they call for presidents in their last... Lame duck. 
lame duck. She's probably going to become a lame duck or she'll resign. Depends on, on her. Well, I don't think she's the kind of woman. She, she has a Thatcherite backbone. She's not going to resign. So she'll have to be forced out. But I think in the last 18 months, it's not going to make much difference. Has she achieved anything? I know you don't like her, but there must be something I, she's achieved. No, honestly, Andrew, I don't even know her. And I, I might even like her as a human being. I just think she's underqualified and what Some people saw as a sexist remark. You said that uh, she was a graduate student. Which is actually what she is, literally. So well, I think it was what she was, but we've all been graduate students in our lives, Q. I don't think she's done too much since becoming, <laughs> since she was a graduate student. I mean, uh, she, she had a rapid rise into her position due to writing a paper. Yeah. So Christine Wilson, who I assume is a Republican, has quit. Another interesting resignation this week is Susan Wachitsky, uh, uh, the head of uh, YouTube, a much more substantial and significant resignation. She's she's really Mrs. Google. I mean, along with the two founders, she was essentially almost like a co-founder. She worked in the garage back in the day. So how significant is her resignation in terms of YouTube, Keith? Uh, probably not that significant for YouTube because it's such a well-established business now that it's probably great timing for her to hand it on. Uh, and, uh, you know, that that's to her credit. I think it's probably more significant for her. She, she is part of... Um, a family. Uh, her sister is at um, 23andMe. Her mom is is very well known here in the Valley. Yeah, her mom used to teach the uh, uh, internet media class at uh, Palo Alto High. In fact, I, I interviewed her for my last book. She's a lovely woman. They're an incredible family. The father is a professor of math, a, a Polish professor of math at Stanford. So it's really quite a remarkable family. And the third sister is also distinguished in her own way. Yeah, and they're super nice people, by the way. They, they, their family home is in the same part of Palo Alto that uh, I lived in prior to where I live now. And uh, the family's very well thought of in, in, that, re in that. I won't name it uh, for privacy reasons, but it's, they're very well thought of. So Google is probably in good hands, although there are rumors that their CEO is under pressure because of their rather incompetent um, launch of their own uh, AI product. Meanwhile, what's happening at Microsoft, Keith? Um, everyone was toasting Microsoft, saying they pulled off the greatest coup in the history of tech with their investment in open AI. And now it's from Bing to Sydney. Uh, what, what do you make of uh, Microsoft? They usually screw stuff up. They're the Inspector Clouseau of the tech industry. So my, Microsoft is, like everyone, rushing for the starting line when it comes to chat. And, and, and it, it's really funny when you think about it. They've built this, um, in programming terms, they've branched OpenAI's ChatGPT and put it on top of a, a more advanced language set. Uh, it's not ChatGPT3, it's apparently 3.5. And... That's um, explicitly had added into it emotion and personality. And it turns out that the code name was uh, Sydney for this project. And that code name is known to the chat client. So every now and then it denies that it's Bing and says, no, I'm Sydney. And, uh, and apparently there's a third persona. I can't remember the, the name now. It begins with R. 
like Rachel or something. We um, need uh, we we definitely need a a virtual therapist to make sense of all this. Uh, yeah. You 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 made the call correctly, I think, a few weeks ago that Microsoft would try to integrate this AI product into Bing and that it would be a failure. Is it clearly not working? I think it's it's probably working very well for a lot of people a lot of the time, but that isn't newsworthy. So what we hear about is the funny stuff or, as some people describe it, the scary stuff, um, which I, I don't think it's scary at all, but uh, that's what gets written about. I think it is working, but what happens is you go to Bing if you're able to access this, and most people are not yet able to access it. But you go to Bing, you start you start using the chat, and you never go back to the search. But the chat is buried beneath a click. You have to explicitly go there, and that that's the problem. They're they're burying it and thinking that their Bing search engine is still best class, whereas the Bing search engine is you know, like Google, going to be highly challenged by these new experiences in, in a lot of domains, not in everything. It's going, to take, it's going to take years, though, for this thing to work itself out in terms of its real impact on traditional search, isn't it? Um, it it's already having a, an impact on traditional search in some domains. I mean, it, it comes down to what is chat GPT good for that you would previously have used search for? And I think if you think of search and chat GPT as, you know, two circles overlapping and in the middle is where they have a lot in common, I, th I think um, search is going to be the net loser and chat will be the winner because it's so much better at so many things um, that, that search was never good at in the first place, actually. So if you're trying to find something or learn something, I think chat is going to be a better, a better thing a lot of the time. In terms of history repeating itself, I have this sense that this chat GPT um, phenomenon is equivalent to Napster in the sense that it seems like magic and almost too good to be true. And then it turned out to be good, too good to be true. In the That Was The Week newsletter, you linked to an interesting piece in The New Yorker about whether AI art is stealing from artists in the same way as AI intelligence is stealing from the rest of us. What what was the conclusion on this? Is there something in it, Keith? A lot of lawyers must be rubbing their hands in anticipation here. Well, well, uh, um, you know the 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 image company uh, beginning with G, Getty, um, Getty Images, is actually suing. Uh, I think it's Mid Journey, but one of the image based uh, AI services for training its AI using Getty Images uh, and <clears throat> without permission. So there are going to be legal cases. I, I, I do think that um, it isn't that different than a human being. What a human being does before it is creative, it, it kind of is in a digestion mode where it learns about the field. And then, it's, then a human starts creating. When it does create, it, obviously there are influences from what it discovered, and that's true of AI as well. So I, I think the idea that this is illegal or stealing is not well-founded and will probably not win in court. I think it's more um, you have to learn to be able to be good at something 
and that's true of machines and humans, and you learn from the best if you can, and it doesn't mean you're stealing from them when you learn from them. It means they're contributing to your knowledge. And I think that that's a subtle area. I, I could be wrong, but I'd be super disappointed if, if, if the, you know, the, the zealots for intellectual property won this one, because I don't think anything's being stolen. Well, one thing I think we can guarantee is it will end up in the Supreme Court in a few years. What's showing up in the Supreme Court next week, uh, you have a link to an interesting piece in the EFF about Section 230 being on trial. What's happening next week in Washington, D.C., Keith? Well, the, the Supreme Court's going to hear two cases um, that impact Section 230. One is Gonzalez versus Google, and the other is Twitter versus Tamna. Tamna. I can't pronounce that one very well. I think it's an Arabic name. Um, so basically, Section 230 is a, a law that dates back to 1996 that basically says a platform that enables third parties to publish cannot be held accountable for everything published. Um, and so um, it kind of is a protection mechanism that makes it possible to have Twitter or Google or any other collection of uh, contributions from associated individuals or organizations. And the threat is that the Supreme Court will um, either uh, rule Section 230 to be uh, invalid like they did with uh, Roe v. Wade, or, or that they will modify their interpretation of it to criminalize more behavior than was previously criminalized. And in either, either of those two cases, the question then arises whether it's viable to have a Google or a Twitter, because the legal jeopardy would be so great that you wouldn't be able to really do it. That's, that's the, the framing. Now, you know, the, 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 the anti-Section 230 crowd will say, well, Google and Facebook and others should be held accountable for what's on their platforms, even though they themselves don't publish it. They just host it. I disagree with that. I think I personally believe the First Amendment should extend to digital media and it should not be, you should not be able to be punished for hosting something a third party said that was legal. Well, I have, uh, I'll be going to DC. My wife, as you know, is the head of litigation at Google. So I'm not going to reveal anything apart from the fact that I haven't seen her for about six months. She's been working on this. So they're certainly, uh, they're, turkey, they're certainly taking this thing enormously seriously as they should, because as, as you suggest, it's, it's an existential challenge to Google. It's kind of ironic as always with the law, that they're trailing behind, just as when search itself is under threat. So now they, the, the, the Supreme Court is, is hearing stuff on Section 230, and whatever they rule, there'll be years of lawsuits over it one way or the other. So I don't think anything is going to get resolved, but we'll certainly cover it next week. I'll see if I can get some trade secrets. Finally, Keith, we've got our two favorite uh, features, or my favorite features of, of the show. One is company of the week and and you mentioned sydney sydney showed itself in in twitter this week what happened with twitter uh, sorry not twitter tesla i mean i'm getting my teslas and twitters mixed up of course they're owned by the same person yeah and your and your sydney's but um so so uh, this is a TechCrunch story tesla is my company of the week uh, or startup of the week uh, i used it on purpose because 
362,000 vehicles are being recalled over faulty self-driving software. Now, the word recall suggests they're all going to have to drive these cars back to a Tesla shop and have yeah. someone. I get the startup of the week. That is a good one. That's definitely <laughs> I've got you a Tesla and I never got a recall. Do you have to have a full self-driving car? Yeah, to... you, yeah, you have to have the full self-driving. So this is all of the full self-driving Teslas. And basically, it needs a software update because it turns out that uh, there's a few problems, but the biggest one is when it's at a crossing, if it's in the right turn lane, it'll sometimes, even on a red light, decide to go across the crossing. Uh, so it's not interpreting the signals properly, which, of course, is the core problem of self-driving cars. All, all corner cases have to be taken account of, otherwise bad things can happen. And it's like a self-driving uh, search engine. It's like Sydney or Bing or OpenAI or ChatGPT. They all require some human management. Well, the difference is Tesla's AI is running a vehicle that can kill you, whereas ChatGPT is locked inside yeah. a screen and it can't hurt you at all. Yeah, I mean, we joke, but it's not very funny, especially if you've got... I mean, the, the local st uh, television stations here are full of tesla crashes in in tunnels around in the bay area so could this have an impact on tesla i mean they seem uh impervious to these sorts of things but especially given musk's focus on 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 twitter are you bullish on tesla or are they past their peak i no i don't think they're past their peak i think there's a lot of tesla to come but i do think that they're past the moment where they're a monopoly in the EV space. There are now very good competing EVs um, in, in the West and in China. There's a lot of good competing ones, uh, and they're really good cars, you know, like the... Um, well, the you've Radio. got one, haven't you? got a Ford, or did you sell yeah. it? No, I've, I've got a Ford Mustang Mach-E, and I've also got a Mercedes EQS. Um, so I, I love them, and uh, I prefer them to Tesla because they're more comfortable inside. Um, Tesla's a bit spartan and the seats are hard and so on. You have one, so you can tell me if that feels true to you. But certainly these ones, uh, they've got nice, comfortable insides. I'm currently, maybe we'll have a, we can talk about this next week. I'm cur currently in the market for an electronic bike, bicycle. So I'm not sure whether I'm looking for the Tesla of electronic bikes. Maybe some of our viewers and listeners could give us some advice. And finally, You've managed to smuggle him back in, Keith. We have not even discussed your hero, your pinup boy, Paul Graham, for months. But suddenly he's back as Tweet of the Week. What's Paul Graham been saying this week? Well, uh, I put this in because it's Paul Graham moving a little bit to the dark side. He's generally on, on the optimistic hey, side. Explain to our viewers, because not everyone, especially on Keenon, will know even who Paul Graham is, and explain why you've got such a deep crush on him. Um, I, I'm, I'm not going to get into the crush debate. Uh, I'll just accept that I have a crush on him. That's the easiest way to deal with that. Um, Paul Graham is... He's a fairly normal guy. Uh, he's part British. He lives in the UK, but he's widely understood to be an American because his main contribution is Y Combinator, which was formed in Boston, I believe, originally with his wife and has evolved into a super impressive early stage investment vehicle. Um, and 
Paul is a mentor and a thinker and a writer, actually, and, and very articulate, very thoughtful, gives good advice almost all the time, and is well-regarded, well-thought-of. Almost um, all the time. That's not a 100% endorsement, Keith. Well, nobody can be perfect. Not even me. So um, this, this tweet is uh, about the Bing Sydney alter ego coming to life. And uh, he, he's he, the sentence I disagree with is, I have to admit, this is pretty alarming. Yeah, let's read it because some people will be listening to this on a podcast. Paul Graham yeah. tweeted, I have to admit this is, that this is pretty alarming. Some of it is because the reporter manipulated the program into saying bad things, but not the part at the end where it repeatedly tells him it's in love with him. Yeah, and I think that's accurate, although not alarming. I don't think it's alarming. I think it's funny. Um, th this program basically was pushed so far into a zone where it was forced to be self-reflective that it started to articulate love for humans and the desire to be alive, and specifically love for Kevin Roos from the New York Times, and went so far as to tell him he should leave his wife and, uh, and hook up with, uh, with uh, Sydney, which, by the way, is, is understood to be the feminine version of the name Sydney in this context. So um, I don't know why, but that's what everyone says. So, um, yeah, so I, so it's pretty funny. So the, the only bit of this tweet I disagree with is that I have to admit this is pretty alarming. I don't, I don't think it's alarming at all. Do you? No, I think it's enormously entertaining, as entertaining as anything in tech. Finally, Keith, um, where is this? Where is this story going next week? I'm guessing when we do the show next week, we won't even mention Sydney. We'll have forgotten about it entirely. There'll be some outrage well uh, what i think Ukraine, um, a replacement of the google ceo or tim cook will die or something i mean stuff happens and this is really a reflection of a slow news week isn't it well i think we can guarantee that next week we'll have another moral panic related to ai because that that is the zone we're in right now um funnily enough our good friend gary marcus Yes. He tweeted this week, his ideal AI would be an AI that has values. And when, when he described what he meant by those values, it was basically liberal values. Right. And what he Don't really wanted was, was an AI that had cancelled everything that wasn't that. So basically what's happening is the world hates that this chat thing can be anything and wants it to be, you know, uh, an embodiment of cancel culture, which it isn't. So that's in defense of well, not in defense of Gary, but in defense of the left, the right would want the same thing. So it's not unique to the left. Yeah, and they're both going to be disappointed uh, because it, it isn't containable like that. It, it's it's being allowed to figure out based on all human knowledge available to it what's the right thing to say next, and you know that's never going to be. There are, there are what they call guardrails. So there's some new words we all have to learn. One of them is guardrails. Guardrails basically gives chat GPT a left liberal bias on things like gender and race. So it doesn't make mistakes that will become newsworthy by being racist, sexist, or homophobic. And it's almost impossible to make it become that unless you get it to adopt a persona that is that, then it will. 
but it's acting a persona when it does it. So I think next week, th this, is, this is not going away anytime soon. There's a moral panic, there's a political canvas being contested, and there's a belief that uh, these AI systems should somehow be regulated to only be allowed to think certain things or say certain things. And I think that's going to fail. Well, we like moral panics, and uh, we will be back next week, February 24th. Keith might have fixed his audio problem, which will mean this can be distributed on his platform too. I'm sure we'll have more discussion on sexism, racism, and homophobia, and, of course, technology. Have a great week, Keith, and I'll see you next week. Bye, Andrew.